the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 285. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Mark Derrigat. Welcome along, Mark. Good to have you back. Good to be back. Now, you've been having a good week so far? Uh, quite busy, yeah. It's been good. That's good. That's good. Um, maybe you can just remind listeners where you fit into this world of technology. Software developer, do the Auckland uh, or New Zealand-based Illegal Argument Java development podcast, concert photography with Chalice of Blood and Label Music, and all-round social geek, um, tech person, yeah. Excellent. Well, um, always good Always good to have your opinions uh, on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Now, let's jump in by starting with the New Zealand High Tech Awards, which uh, took place in Auckland last week. And there was some, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just a good a good event, I guess. What I like is that we're really starting to highlight those that are, uh, that are working hard and delivering some amazing results, uh, particularly around the world within the tech community here in New Zealand. And the, these awards, I think, you know, a good encouragement and, and just a reminder of all of the great stuff that's, um, that's happening out there. You, uh, you were following these awards. You're pretty up with the play on, on a few of these players, I think, from I, our I chat f- earlier. I followed a few of the awards. Uh, a few friends um, from Mo- who run Movio, they were up for an award, and they, both of them and their parent company, Vista Entertainment, uh, Vista actually took out the High Tech Company of the Year. Yeah, they've uh, they've been doing very well globally. I mean, it's an interesting story, and we will. Um, I've been talking to them recently, so we will be um, sharing their story either here on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, or we might. Uh, you know, it's probably going to be relevant across on the New Zealand Business Podcast. So, yeah, that's that's definitely pretty interesting in terms of how they've how they've grown from. You know, from a little little startup to really dominate the cinema software business globally, yeah. and they're continuing to to grow. I think uh, they just announced a, a deal in Africa with the biggest uh, cinema chain in Africa within the last twenty four hours, and uh, yeah, they just seem to keep keep winning these things in pretty much every every part of the world. Yeah, and Movio, which is the the local development um, company, they took out the most innovative software product award as well. So the actual, just from the, the software that they write to the actual business that they're, they're doing and providing is making great inroads and just... It's, I mean, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty pleasing to see, isn't it? And yeah, we've got a pretty tight-knit tech community here in New Zealand, so we, we, we probably, most of us will, will know um, some, of the, some of those involved. A few of the other winners in there, uh, 90 Seconds, uh, won the um, IBM Most Innovative uh, Company Award. There was Catherine Koch and uh, Sam Morgan, who were in, inducted into the Tate Communications High Tech Hall of Fame. In fact, 90 Seconds won, uh, won two, two awards. They also run, won the AT Best Technology Solution for the creative sector. Yeah, there was uh, there was some good results there. Um, Flick Electric, I chatted to their CEO uh, while he was up here in Auckland uh, last week, and so... That chat will be coming up actually on the New Zealand New Zealand Business Podcast, and uh, they were up for I think three awards and uh, managed to take away the Vocus uh, Communications Innovative uh, Services Award. Serato or Serato, I think they're Serato, aren't they? I believe um, so. Yeah, they're the uh, the guys doing uh, cool stuff in the in the music industry. Who I first came across over in in Miami, probably um, ten, over ten ten years ago at the uh, Miami Winter Music Conference there, but a very successful 
tech business out of New Zealand that's uh, you know really dominated their their field globally. So lots of lots of good stuff going on there, and uh, you know great to see so much support of these awards. So many uh, sponsors that have got uh, got behind them from IBM, uh, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, um, PwC. The Venture Investment Fund, Tate, Vocus, Duncan Cotterall, whole bunch of them, Callahan, Atid, Enday. So I don't know if I've covered all of them, but uh, yeah, good stuff to see uh, to see all of the support for uh, for the local tech industry. The only negative um, comments that I saw about it was the lack of women getting awards. Yeah, that's and kind of curious, isn't there, it? There was a comment that uh, looking back at I think last year's award or earlier, there was only like about four women who got any awards and this year there was six or something like that i Mm. I can't Mm. remember the exact figures i just saw that message post fly past on twitter but it was kind of like oh surely there'd be more um well i guess i mean it's it's a reflection of the the balance that that we have or imbalance that we have in the in the industry at the moment and you know there's certainly you know i think a, a a good push going on to involve more uh um more women into the tech industry and and across roles, I think you know we've got a growing number, but uh, you know I'm sure that's 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 part of it. But uh, yeah, now we should jump into some of our other uh, topics. Uh, last week was was rather big in the world of of Google, wasn't it? It was definitely quite big. Yes. Uh, so Google I/O, what were the what were the highlights from uh, from your perspective? Any any particular things that sort of stood out? I was uh, I was interested in this new uh, Google Home product. Was one that uh, I found rather curious because, of course, we've we've seen what um, uh, Amazon have been doing with the Echo, and we've got a um, we've probably got the box for the Echo floating around here somewhere because it's at home at the moment. But you know, this is your uh, your personal assistant device that sort of sits within your home and. You know, draws on, draws on uh, into your music library. It's got search. You can ask it questions, put things into your your calendar, and and so on. And it looks like what Google are doing, and um, this is one of you know many things that were announced at Google I/O that aren't available just yet, uh, but coming later on in the year. It looks like what uh, Google are, are doing here is delivering something that will be a, a superset of what Amazon are offering. So yeah, I, th- I wonder. I wonder how Amazon um, how Amazon can can compete against the might of Google. Uh, but that said, sometimes Google have released products that haven't been uh, haven't been big winners. No, it was interesting. Um, the, I, I came across on vengage.com an article with a, a nice little timeline diagram of the highs and lows of Google I/O that kind of went through all of the different gifts that they've given out, all the different products that they've launched, and, and then shut down and the products that they announced that never actually got sold because they got shut down even before they left Google I.O. So they've definitely had their hits and wins and misses. And and one of the things I was thinking about Google Home, I actually missed that part of the presentation, and I need to go back and watch it. But it's a personal device, right? In your home where you've got kids, you've got a wife, you've got family, you've got other people staying with you. You don't necessarily want something that's always on always sort of logged in in some ways is that what you're talking about from a security perspective it's more more, hey google what's my wife's plans for this evening oh she's organizing you a birthday party hold on if if, there's the the privacy issues of combined data it's not necessarily a security privacy issue kind of 
that we normally talk about of a privacy issue, but it's more of a social privacy issue that you might not want all of that information or play me some music and suddenly you've got your kids heavy metal. Yeah, I guess, I mean, there, are, there will be ways to control that. I, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I would, I'd be starting by giving them the benefit of the doubt yeah. to see what they come up with. But, yeah, I'm sure there'll be challenges in varying homes depending on, um, depending on you know, what, what you want, uh, what the makeup is of, you know, who's, who's in the home and the variety of things that, that you're into. But it's, it seems to me like having some competition in this space like there are in, in most other spaces uh, is a good thing. The concept of it being able to handle multi-room audio and, you know, if you've got these things spread throughout your house being being able to control you know the sound across your home that's that sounds pretty good obviously there are other ways of of doing that today you know one as long as it's a sort of a, a reasonably priced device from google being able to be in every room um, is probably quite practical for a lot of people or, or at least in in sort of key key areas like in a you know maybe a, a living room and a kitchen and um, you know maybe a bedroom or something turning off all your kids music at night yeah, well, and that's the sort of thing. You'd be able to control what goes on around the house yeah. or you could wake everyone up um, So, with with whatever you like. So there's probably some some curious situations that uh, that will arrive. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that will arise. I think one of the big ones that, that stood out for me was the announcement that um, I'm not sure if... Because I, I kind of watched a little bit of the keynote and a little bit of the technical podcasts and a whole lot of Google Plus posts from various different people. So... I'm not sure which things were in keynotes or not, but it came out that uh, Android N will be switching to a model similar to Chrome OS, where you've got two partitions on the device, and you've got the one partition which is going to be running the OS that you're currently running. When an upgrade comes in, it'll just write to that second device, you reboot, and it switches partition. Which means if you've got a 16 gig device, you're now going to lose a lot of space if that feature's turned on, because I don't think you're forced to have that feature turned on. I th- well, and, I th- and in fact, I don't think it'll be available in an existing device. I think you need yes, new devices to do it. I think someone did mention that this feature will not be available on any of the currently selling selling devices, which would in- probably cover a lot of the recently released top-end devices, possibly. So you kind of want a device that's got a lot of storage. But that also kind of leads into Google-owning OS upgrades and taking it out of the carrier's hands possibly or it does look as though that's maybe heading heading in the right direction because I think you know if you look today the large majority of people with an Android a smartphone tablet etc are on an old version of the operating system there just isn't a super easy way for the average uh, consumer or you know business person to be able to you know, gain access to that latest version yeah. without jumping through a few hoops so. I think the more people are buying things through like parallel importers they're getting the updates not from Vodafone or Telstra or whoever anyway so I think it's a losing battle saying let's kind of lock the devices into Vodafone yeah I would I mean I'd like to think so I think what we've seen from Apple is generally uh, is generally good being able to get those new operating system updates straight onto your device every device in the world at the same time We've had a few oddities with that, and you know, I was I was one that was was caught with a with a dodgy iOS update earlier on, um, you know, in the last few months that uh, made my device 
not unusable, but unusable for one of the most common functions that I use it for, which is you know getting onto the web. So there are some there are some definite uh, downsides of uh, of that approach. Yes. Uh, Microsoft have a sort of in between approach that's you know worked um, yeah sort of sort of okay. But uh, yeah, hopefully Google keep uh, keep pushing that side along with uh, with Android and make it very easy for people to get updates to uh, to their devices. Definitely. All right. Uh, so um, just looking back at that, that Google Home, is this the sort of thing you would get? Something that control your home, control your if you've got smart home devices. You know, you might have. Um, well, it, it, there some of the references are to things like the Nest products, which of course now part of of Google. So of course those are going to didn't uh, Nest get closed down though? Going to get a, a mention? Did they shut Nest they, down? They shut down one of the Nest products. Uh, which one was? I can't remember exactly which one it was, but they decided to stop updating or something, and a lot of people were complaining. Oh yes, yeah, that was in the last little while. One of the one of the um, the Nest products that they're no longer uh, no longer supported. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is one of the the concerns of going and in, buying into one of these devices if it's going to now control your home. Uh, that What's the that, that, that is, is a going to that is down? a big issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think they were closing smart home company uh, Revolve that they That's had the uh, that they had acquired. Yeah, and so ev- everything that you might have had in relation to that, yeah, you can you kind of stuffed. So. That is one of the one of the challenges I think with creating a smart home environment. Uh, you know, particularly come across people that are getting a new new home built, and there's all this technology that sort of gets gets built in from the get go. Of course, that stuff in many cases is going to date really quickly. Usually, a home is something you want to last a really really long time. Well, I think that's um, so where it can create a lot of work. That's where having something that's open source would probably be something that you definitely want there, but also not open source enough that burglars will just know how to circumnavigate anything on those smart homes. Well, I mean, open source doesn't guarantee it's going to be supported for a long time and, and so on, unless it's got a, got a big market share and people are no, able but it, to it, look after it. It does mean that if company X, say Google, decides to shut it down, you've got the source so you can still get access to maybe the code to how you can get the data out. That might not be relevant to every... No person out there, but it, it does create some other options. If they want to get into their house, that it might become important. <laughs> We're getting into a very complex world here, aren't we, Mark? True. Let's yeah. just go back to like yeah. messaging apps, because th- there's only one or two messaging apps that you need, right? Don't need a hundred. But does Google need another two or three? Well, it depends whether those uh, those new apps are going to come with some uh, intelligent assistant capabilities, sort of bit of artificial and intelligence built in. Well, at least one of them is currently the new Allo, which apparently is going to be the default messaging app for Android N, and there is rumour that it will also do SMS as well as its own messaging. I'm not yet sure whether Allo and Duo, which is the video application, what the intent is, because these are, these are yet again siloed messaging apps, possibly taking aim at the WhatsApp space which is a big thing to try and attack. The smart assistant might be handy. And there was someone I was reading a, a blog post on yesterday that kind of hinted that maybe this is just an entry point to be a trialing thing for the new Google Assistant to train it. And then once they've ironed out a few kinks, it'll move on to the greater applications in the greater ecosphere. It is a little bit hard to know, isn't it? But what we are seeing is in a very short space of time, we've gone from not having these uh, these assistants 
these AI type assistants inside our messaging apps to suddenly they're they're everywhere. Now they can cause a few problems. There was uh, one that was uh, that I came across in the, in the last um, day or so. It was highlighted somebody was this assistant is there and can help you order a product, and then they were trying to basically get some help because they had a problem, and the assistant basically kept trying to take orders for more product rather than allowing them to get the help that they actually um, that they actually needed. So yeah, that's not not particularly ideal, but the there you go. I yep. guess there's a little bit of work to be done on these um, on the artificial intelligence elements that are built into uh, into these things. Now, a bit of a thought question for your listeners: If messaging apps and AI bots come into the the fore, and you're now having a conversation with a bot and being unaware of this, are you being catfished? Where, where you're talking to someone who's not who, who they appear to be? Well, I think you you always know when you when you're talking to a to an AI. Well, current AIs may be, but not Google advanced AIs, which if they're taking your responses and how you actually interact with those people in the past and take your previous conversations so they do actually have relevant topical context, it will start to get quite blurry. No, but I mean the the um you know, people will expect to know, so the you know, the the interface will have to inform you, I would think whether you're dealing with a person or with, a, with an yes. arti- artificial <laughs> intelligence system, right? Maybe, maybe not. I guess it, it depends. If you're looking on screen, you can you can sort of see, but I guess if you're chatting, just, just talking, which then is... it interrupting, mentioning, hey, this is the AI. Maybe, maybe. We, we will see. Now, tell us what's happening with uh, Android and um, Chrome OS. That's yet another big question. Um, where you can now get uh, the Android Play Store, I think, is launching on Chrome OS, and Android applications will be, soon be available through Chrome OS. So they're kind of changing some APIs on how you actually develop your Android applications so that they can just run native, natively, in air quotes, I guess, until we actually see how this works. That's got to be, I think that's got to be pretty exciting for um, for Chrome OS fans because Chrome OS has really only cut out a pretty small slice of the market to date. Uh, it's probably got to be the sort of thing that will make Microsoft somewhat uneasy because, I mean, Chrome has a massive amount of apps, really good apps. Microsoft has their, the bulk of their, you know, their, their best uh, apps, their Office apps and lots of others uh, available on Android and now suddenly all of those apps are available on you know Windows most recent competitor which is uh, out there winning market share so yes. I would t- I would tend to think this is going to make uh, Chrome OS so, of a of a lot more interest to people so I see Chrome OS and Chrome well Chrome OS devices outsold Macs for the first time this year but I was I was just thinking as you mentioned something there um, Microsoft who kind of touted running Android apps on Windows and then kind of pulled that away. Now we've got Android apps running on Chrome OS. Yes. Uh, so. Okay, let's... I yes. mean, it, it's. I think it's been talked about for a long time that uh, Chrome and Android should come together and would they? And uh, I guess this is, this is really the key step in relation to that. So I think the big one in the app space currently from Google I.O. that's going to be more interesting and potentially more troublesome until people work it out is the new instant apps which i if i understand correctly sound almost like java applets from the point of you're just doing a google search oh here's uh worldwide travel oh i want to make a booking 
So you've got an application to make that flight booking. You don't need to install it onto your device and create an account. You can just use it. Well, I guess so you're, you're talking about apps that are really just sitting out in, in the cloud and you know we already use those via, via the web today. Yeah, I haven't looked into all the technical details of how that works, but yeah, the option of, of having an app that you, doesn't have to take up local storage, maybe it's something you use occasionally, maybe you're always online anyway. If it needs to store a whole lot of data, then hey, that can that can potentially sit out in the cloud as well. It'll, it'll be curious to see how this uh, comes together, but that concept of having the choice of where do you install your app, you know, today we've got that option, well, do you install it on your, your sort of core storage on your device? Do you install it on your uh, your micro SD card that's in there? Or now it's, well, actually it'll just sit in the cloud and you you don't use any, any space. There are obviously some trade-offs if you don't have yeah. uh, good internet connectivity or, you know, you're, you're roaming, travelling overseas and, and whatnot. There'll be some, some downsides to it. But and if, uh, if it's still sounds... using the, the same kind of local material design and the actual local APIs for a native application that's just run from the web, you will have that same feel as a native application. Whereas a, a lot of web kind of applications still feel like a web application running on a phone. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it sounds actually like quite a uh, quite a smart approach. Um, now, also, we've got Waze coming to Android Auto. That makes sense. You know, Waze is um, navigation application that, of course, Google acquired some time ago. I think about a billion dollar uh, purchase there. And yeah, to date you haven't actually been at a if you're a, if you use Waze and you use Android Auto, which uh, for those that aren't familiar, it's uh, it's a uh, technology that is typically built into a um, into a vehicle um, entertainment system or into a stereo head deck if you're buying an aftermarket one, um, and it allows you to gain access to what's on your uh, smartphone through that head deck, and you can control it through either voice. Uh, or touch, and it actually works really, really well from uh, from my experience with it. I'm, I've got Android Android Auto on my vehicle. So, did you do an aftermarket install? Uh, yes, yes. So, so this was one I brought from the US because um, you know I was aware they're available over there and hadn't seen any in New Zealand. So, uh, so I, I grabbed it so I could uh, have a look at the technology. I mean, this the particular one I use. Um, also supports uh, Apple CarPlay, so you can you can right. go with either, which is great. What, what was that expensive or relatively cheap? They're retailing here now in New Zealand, I think around sixteen hundred dollars. So right. it's it's not a super low cost purchase, but you know a vehicle can be a pretty big investment, and if you spend a lot of time in a vehicle. Having the right technology um, can work pretty well. Um, so that of, price is going to come down, of course. So one of the things that was mentioned at I/O was that coming soon. Android Auto will just be an application that you can just install on your handset. So you can just stick your phone to the, your car and you'll just run the full native Android Auto without having to pay for an aftermarket install, which allows normal people to just use it. So currently I use an application called Automate, which runs as a background process and takes over the entire desktop and gives you pretty much all the same things that Auto Official does. And that's just wonderful but i'd love to actually have native yeah i mean auto. i guess it would be the sort of thing if you wanted to match what a what a head deck is of course that has a whole bunch of other stuff in it in terms of amplifiers and you know you know whatnot being powered and so on so yeah i mean a, a, another approach could be 
a spare Android handset or maybe a, a tablet. You know, I'm sure there's a few ways of being able to do that. Or, well, yeah, you put your put your own handset up there to carry that function. But uh, presumably, you will be able to use it by um, you know connecting from a phone that's in your pocket to uh, to say a tablet uh, tablet running uh, Android Auto in the vehicle as well. So, yeah, that will be curious, and certainly if it's um, fairly easy to do and and works well i'm I'm sure a bunch of people will try that out and if you've got enough money you could actually go the alternate route and buy yourself a nice spanking new limited edition not actually for sale maserati that comes with google auto android auto this was quite awesome to watch um google and qualcomm joined forces to build this maserati and just demonstrate the full awesome high-end car luxury insanity mm, mm. yeah um i mean you've got to you've got to show off cool cool things at, at these sort of conferences don't you and um yeah having having maserati on board uh, not a bad thing good uh, good for everyone really now what's your take on android wear 2 to me it seems like seems like a positive upgrade um you know there's a bunch of new stuff in there i haven't um, i haven't Honestly, haven't actually really played with Android Wear One. Uh, I've been looking at the devices and some of the the, the the watches and going, "Ooh, that would be kind of cool if I used a watch." And there are a few places where I think I would actually still actually want to get one, even though it's just a gadget. But some, for some of the the health monitoring, checking that kind of stuff. But Android Wear Two seems like mostly a polish, and just cleaning up a lot of small things, making things work a lot nicer and more integrated. One of the cool things is native applications that actually install directly on the Android Wear device and run on the device as opposed to just kind of mirroring what's on your on your phone. Yep. So there was a demonstration of Spotify on a phone that actually has its own SIM now and just operates completely independent. Yeah, so they're allowing you to have a SIM card in the watch before, which we, we had seen from uh, from Samsung, but that wasn't something that was running uh, Android Wear. So, yeah, with this move, basically, you can uh, you can have an Android Wear watch embedded uh, SIM card would you know I imagine be be most uh, likely the e e SIM, and yeah, away you go with with a device that can uh, can operate entirely independently. But one of the things they also added in Android Wear 2 is a keyboard. That you must be pretty excited about that. You know, you know little screen on a phone. And uh, well, well, what, what would you use that for? Well, it's actually a, a drawable keyboard. Keyboard. So you actually say draw like with your finger. Three p.m. And it scrolls as you uh, as you draw, doesn't it? Yeah. So if you're just wanting to, to jot down quick notes to like, oh, I need three p.m. That could be kind of something useful. very short would be better than dictation, but the dictation is probably the better way to go in most yeah. cases, isn't it? Although I was thinking, a lot of people complain that some of the Android Wear phones are a little bit too big. If you've got a keyboard that you're using your finger on to write on, you probably want a bigger phone. I mean, a bigger watch. Watch. Yeah. Well, and they also have on-screen keyboard as well. So, um, if you've yeah, got really small fingers. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, there there were a bunch of bunch of things in in this update and when i you know look through the announcement you know this stuff looks good the big question is does anybody really want a smartwatch and does it deliver a whole lot to most most people 
Um, you know, I think there are some specific use cases where this sort of technology is helpful. There are certain cases where it is great to get notifications on your wrist. There are certainly some sort of health and, and, and fitness type uh, applications, I think, for, uh, uh, for, for smart watches. But I think it's, you know, it's, we, we yet to hit a point where we sort of feel where, you know, I would think most people are, you know, super excited and think, hey, this is what I, this is the next gadget that I've got to get. In fact, a lot of people that have gone out and bought these sorts of things aren't actually actively using them anymore. Um, part of that relates to um, how often you have to charge them. Yeah. So there was, I can't remember who I was talking about that. I was kind of saying, it's like, for the first week, they feel really awkward and you don't know what to do with them. And then you get apps and then you actually really, really love the device. And then after a while, you just don't use it. But it, they kind of also then commented that at that point, it's passive data, passive monitoring. And when they stopped using it, they kind of noticed the lack of information and more things for like heart rate or health, those kind of stuff. That it, The fact that it disappears is kind of a selling point of the technology itself, but it's kind of one of those weird kind of ones where it's, so I'm spending $900 for nothing. Well, there's not many smartwatches that are $900 um, other than... Um, if you get the shiny ones, they are. Like the Tag Hauer, and uh, probably 9000 isn't it? Yeah, I think more than that. But although, you know, the Apple products, certainly by the time you... Uh, you choose a nice, you know, band or two, and so on. You're um, you're moving up into into that, and of course, yeah. you can spend up well past ten thousand dollars if you uh, if you choose to do so. Now, t- um, talking about wearables, I came across an alcohol monitoring bracelet. Now, this one was reported in Gizmag, and it looks like a an interesting uh, an interesting concept. Um, it pings your phone when it's time to uh, e- ease up on the alcohol. I can imagine. Oh, I thought you were going to say I was going to ping your phone to tell you that it's already ordered you a new drink and it's monitored and discovered what you were drinking. Well, I would think the the future opens all of those sorts of possibilities. Um, but you, I mean, if we think think today of criminals who are getting their location monitored already. You can imagine that this is the sort of thing that I can imagine the corrections folk will be also wanting uh, wanting people to wear. What do you think? Well, the number of times I've read reports of people very easily removing those monitoring bracelets and ankle brackets, I'm not sure corrections would really necessarily want these. They should probably invest in something actually. else to lose. You think, <laughs> or an, another way to lose a prisoner. <laughs> I think probably more from a, a social perspective, knowing that you've had too much to drink and easily being able to check with a breathalyzer or something. Can't you figure that stuff out anyway? I mean, seriously. Well. <laughs> uh, okay, maybe not. All right, all right. I'm, well, I'm fine to drive, man. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, well, I guess if somebody else is, is planning to drive, I mean, but the rules you know, here in New Zealand are in theory that you're not supposed to have had, had anything to drink, although, of course... The the reality of it from a you know alcohol perspective is you 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 can get away with a little bit and I guess it's knowing whether you've had whether you're over or under that uh, that little bit threshold but the general recommendations are if, if you have you know anything any alcohol to drink that you should uh, stay away from uh, from driving of course well, that will be much less of an issue as soon as we get all our autonomous vehicles and a few law changes in place that will that will become a whole lot easier but we're not quite there on that one yet true but if you've got android auto in your in your car you could have a smart lock that as you brush your you have to use the bracelet to unlock your car and if your alcohol level is too high 
maybe it won't let you unlock the car. Yeah, that would be annoying, wouldn't it? What be, being not being able to get in your car and not drive being able to get in your car if you if you needed to get in and maybe have a have a snooze to uh, to sleep it off, you see. Or maybe you just can't start the engine then. Okay, yeah, that might yeah, be better. Okay. All right. Um, now, other um, other things. I got contacted by uh, someone around a new app called Run the Empire last week, and I was wondering what is this? Why you know it's not often someone contacts me to say, oh, would you please you know mention our new app? So I thought, well. You know, if they've made the effort to get to get in touch, let's uh, let's have a look and see what this one's about. And what it is, it's an exercise app aimed at gamers. So it's gamifying your exercise. And the uh, the title "Run the Empire" gives you a little bit of an insight into actually what you do. So effectively, it works on a on a map basis. And the idea is that you capture territories and so I tried it out the other day and um, got a few uh, dots on the uh, on the map it basically splits up splits up the whole planet effectively into uh, into little grids and there's little hexagons and uh, if you run a, uh, a loop around somewhere then you'll capture that particular space and you can you know lose that space or that territory to somebody else if they they run around it does it matter how fast you run around it basically you've got it does its capture based on what you can do in 60 minutes so if you decide oh look i'm going to run right around the edge of auckland um, that's going to take you more than an hour unless you use some pretty amazing technology and i think it's smart enough to pick up your movements and decide whether you're running or whether you're in your car so uh, I haven't tested that, but it but it does require access to the uh, the motion movement detection stuff on on the iPhone, which is all that it runs on at the moment. Apparently, they are considering a bicycle edition if there's enough demand once it kind of takes off. Yeah, yeah, that would make that would make some sense too. Yeah, but yeah, it was kind of a bit of fun, and um, I had a look nearby me where um, my friend John uh, lives, and uh, John. John does the uh, the tech stuff on uh, TVNZ uh, Breakfast, and where I was looking, there was a sort of big thing. And he's a bit of a runner, and I had a look, and I thought, "That's John. He's he scored that. He's probably had the, the same people get in touch with him about it." Um, my territory was very small, and I could see his actually growing. So um, I've only tr- I only tried it once, and I was. Um, I was almost home when I remembered. Oh, I have to fire up the app and try it out. Um, but it looks looks quite cool, and I can imagine it being uh, being a bit of fun. And nothing wrong with adding a bit of uh, gamification into what you do. There's already, and I've only really looked at Auckland. I'll be in Christchurch this week, so I might try it out down there and capture some territory. But there were already a bunch of uh, spots on the the Auckland map where where people had uh, captured varying areas. So, uh, so it was interesting. In the fact, there was um, one of the questions was. I run to and from work. I'm not necessarily doing circuits. Does that still work? And the response was, "Well, yes, it does. But you actually capture the the just cro- the areas the cross you, you, you just the areas you cover. So if you if you yeah, so, so you kind of like capture the borders. Yeah, not yeah. So you'll still capture some territory. Yeah. But if you broadened it and did a bit wider and decided, oh, I'm going to get a bit more exercise here, and you you do a bit a bit more of a loop, then you'll capture a lot more territory. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it looks uh, looks kind of fun, kind of cool. And Android is coming soon once they've got a bit more of the the technical stuff kind of kinks worked out from using the iOS devices mm. and 
Yeah, I mean, the only technical sort of oddity I noticed was it sort of said it was syncing or updating or something. My my map seems to take a long time and hopefully didn't use all my data. Um, it didn't appear to be, didn't appear to be using a whole, you know, I, well, I didn't run into any data issues, put it that way, but I didn't, uh, I didn't measure how much it was using. But um, most smartphones these days, you can go in and check that and I'm sure they're keeping a bit of a watch on it. So, um, yeah, shouldn't be, a, shouldn't be a big deal. Right. So... Earlier when we were discussing, you you mentioned doing some live streaming of video and getting into a, a, a little bit of trouble. A little bit of trouble. Well, a, uh, what happened was last uh, last week when I was um, asked to come into Paul Henry's show, um, I think it was we- maybe Wednesday morning, and talk to them around the, the topic that had, that had hit the media, which was students using technology to cheat at exams. Um, I decided that I would live stream through Facebook, which is something we can do now. Yep. Uh, live stream the video, just sort of the behind the scenes, really. Of I'd been sitting in the in the green room and was about to go through to to the main studio, and so I just live streamed that from the iPhone 6s. And afterwards, I got you know a comment saying, "Hey, that was that was a bit shaky. Where's your optical image stabilization?" And of course, so so, so not querying the the privacy issues of showing behind the scenes of a TV studio or not getting permission to live stream this content. Oh no, I mean they they live, they live in a modern world. They they accept these things. So um, yeah, they, I, I don't think they have too much of an issue. It's all good publicity for them. But yeah, the but um, not not everyone shares that that view, do they? Maybe not, maybe not, but they're, they're used to it. I've periscoped and so on from, from News Hub in the past, so uh, yeah. So, so no, nothing to like pick a fight over? Hopefully not. No. Why? Well, ha- have you heard of this, um, this guy, Joseph? Oh, tell me about Joseph. Well, I have no idea who Joseph Parker is. I Well, he, he, was, in the, he was actually in the studio and uh, Paul Henry's um, brought him into the end of our, end of our discussion because we were talking about cheating. And he was asking whether whether this technology could maybe help Joseph Parker uh, cheat uh, to win his fight. But of course, he he didn't need to. He won his fight rather uh, rather well. I hear a lot of people actually saw that fight, though. Yeah, well, I think there was somebody else that was um, streaming over Facebook. Was was the the challenge there? Yes. Um, and the challenge was that Sky TV. And the event promoter were charging fifty dollars, I think. Fifty dollars if you wanted to stream the fight over over Sky. Now, is that common common price wise for um, pay per view games? I, th- and- I think uh, the on Sky the biggest we've seen in the past has probably been at that fifty dollar uh, price point, but that was that was the biggest sort of international fight, right? So. For this one to be fifty dollars, I think a few people were, you know, put off by the situation. Would they have had more people streaming it or paying if it was forty dollars? I, I actually don't, I don't know, and I'm sure that, you know that's something that they weighed up as it, you know, what, what was the right price? What price were they going to do uh, best on? Um, yeah, fifty dollars is quite quite a lot, but certainly a lot cheaper than um, you know the being them being ringside, I imagine. So. Um, you know, I, I guess that was that was their call. But we're now in this world where you can stream anything you like online through a Periscope or a Facebook Live. And, of course, there's lots of other methods that people have been using for years and years. 
just you know people streaming through a browser and 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 so on but yeah what what we had on this occasion was uh, somebody who has built a following uh, on facebook what appears to be from sharing lots of videos and Admittedly, I didn't spend a whole lot of time browsing this particular page, but it looked from, as from though... From what I understand, there were, there were multiple people sharing their streams as well. Oh, uh, there were, but there was there was one that, that one that stood out, and the, the, the reason that this particular individual um, stood out was that he has a Facebook page that seems to be known for... Uh, distributing video content which he has not created right and so the the page is beast mos on facebook now when i looked uh, i think it was was yesterday in in advance of um talking to larry williams on um on news talk zb about the the topic uh he had amassed Something like maybe 80,000 fans, if I recall correctly. He'd amassed a lot of fans anyway. And when you had a look, his, his, he had received a lot of likes over that last week compared to a normal week. And so, you know, from his perspective, streaming this on his Facebook page was extremely beneficial to him. Um, somebody who's got a, a page with 80,000 likes has something that they can start monetizing and, and doing reasonably well off potentially if they keep, you know, keep, think, keep sharing things. And I think that is possibly the key where this starts getting a little bit more dodgier than just sharing it online. Because I, I was thinking the other day when I was looking at this, it's like there's not too much difference in me VHS recording the fight, giving it to you, and then you watching it later that night. The fact, well, there's, the fact- there's, a, there's a small difference in that you're, in this case, there were, I think he maybe had, there were there were at least 100,000 100, streams of the video that were watched, and I think maybe a quarter of those were through his page. Yeah, so, so I mean, I mean the, the logistics of the, the scale of it aside, there's not much difference from, from one perspective that you could look at it. If, if it's okay for me to video record this and give it to someone else who hasn't paid for it and watch that game. There's a, there's two big differences, though, that I see. One is the size of the audience. The other, there's no delay. These guys are basically watching it live as it happens because and after it, the fact, you can always get and watch watch a boxing match later anyway, usually for, for free or, you know. And it's also cached on Facebook so anyone can watch it after the fact anyway. So that and that kind of leads into where I was possibly going to go. It's like, it's not so much that it's also streamed and thrown away. It's not like a Periscope where I think you, or does Periscope actually? Uh, Periscope usually keeps content up for about 24 hours. Right. Well, I think Facebook Live kind of is kind of like Google Hangouts on air where they stay around. That's right. Yeah. So it's yeah. actually there permanently. Yeah. Unless, unless the person decides to uh, delete it. Yeah, or they get a DMCA takedown or or whatever. Mm, mm. But is that where possibly the, I guess the, um, what am I, what's the word I'm trying to think of there? Um, the, the, the fairness and to the promoters and that is like, well, um, the fact that I'm making it available and continuing to distribute this, I don't necessarily think um, that Facebook's at fault. I think one of the articles I was reading was saying, he was saying, I want to sue everyone who watched the stream and Facebook and everyone who stored and cached it kind of thing. 
That's that's not going to happen, though. No. But even then, even if you could do that, I don't necessarily think Facebook should be the target there. They're kind of a, a proxy middleman. They would get the DMCA takedown or whatever the equivalent takedown notice we have here is. If they don't comply, then they might get sued for that. As long as they put the right processes in place. You can imagine in this sort of situation, the copyright holder should be able to have a mechanism through which to shut down these live streams partway through. That's the, yeah. you know, to be able to cater to it because it's a pretty short, you know, space of time. I mean, this this boxing match, I think, went 12 rounds. So, um, you know, it's not, not, not a short so, as... So it wasn't uh, just a two-punch, you're uh, out in $50, thank we, you, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and so people were getting some value from from that perspective. But I think, you know, Facebook is, is getting a bit of flack for what's going on here. I think when you look at Facebook now in terms of their dominance and their surface area, you know, the Facebook used to be this social network that most people were on now it's the place where you consume all your video content you don't need youtube anymore now it replaces skype and instant messenger programs you can do your video calls you can do your audio calls um keep your video calls on i think you can do video calls on there yeah i've mostly used it for audio and and for messaging but you can see how some people will just live in facebook and this just adds to their ability to do that and for Facebook to get more and more of your attention and to become a more and more valuable uh, company and in the process crushing other players and certainly um, you know, leaving some people out of pocket. And I know that there's certainly uh, you know, a few content creators out there at the moment who aren't too happy that maybe their YouTube content has got ripped off and, and dropped onto, uh, dropped yeah. into Facebook and, and you know, through varying ways. And uh, and then you know it gets monetized there, uh, and played through the Facebook player that doesn't actually so back to Facebook to, to YouTube. Although one thing I was thinking of there's one comment that I think I read on the Herald where they got some guy was saying, I was thinking of watching the fight and then I saw it was fifty bucks and went that's too expensive. So I went to the pub with my mates and watched it. So the, and spent fifty uh, so, so, bucks on yeah on on, on at beer. the pub yeah. So a, a bar pays for a license to broadcast the game live to all of their punters. So is this not more just it's actually a licensing deal that he that Sky need to work out with whoever this guy is to say well if maybe you, if you maybe, maybe the on, other way around right if he's going to show their content and if you look through the Beast Mo's Facebook page it does seem to just be an array of videos that he has acquired dropped his own branding and and so on on to promote himself as though. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, very, uh, very, you know, very, very good for building his audience. Yes, but if he pays for a license similar to how a bar pays for a license to rebroadcast, then he'll be he'll be out of business, right? Because well, well, so, he's so, not able to monetize at that sort of level. Yeah, not, so, not so, just so he yet. needs to sort out how he's going to monetize that, and whether it's viable to do so. If not, he should stop. It's really a, a businessy kind of licensing arrangement that they need to sort out for these new this new realm of third party broadcasters. Yes, maybe so. I guess the 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 other side is look, this stuff is gonna happen. Somebody who's got a lot of likes like him is either going to get a big bill or he's going to have to sort something out if he wants to keep doing this sort of thing. Um, or gets employed by Sky TV. So, you know, but yeah, giving away this expensive content free, I think it will keep happening. There'll always be ways to get hold of things um, without paying. But I'll just be curious what Facebook and 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 others do. But you know, we yeah. we, we we saw it uh, in the past with um, with with Periscope. 
and the the big the big fight that came up last year. What was it? Uh, Pacquiao Mayweather uh, mm. fight, and there were people that were streaming that onto um, onto the platforms that were available so, uh, at the time, which I think it, was Meerkat and and, and Periscope. Yeah. So is that not just more actually saying, "Hey, Sky TV, you should be having a Facebook page and live streaming it yourself, or stream this through Periscope and actually give some of these new technologies a an avenue you're not going to get the same experience as watching it on the big screen and if you want it on the big screen you watch it on the big screen but if you're watching it on a phone you're not gonna have the same experience so why pay fifty dollars for it well and that's a, that's a really interesting point because you know if it is going to be given away that way yeah is there is there a way they can monetize it successfully should they be making sure there's Lots and lots and lots of advertising in that stream yeah. that that gets seen. So regardless of whether someone pays for it or not, they're earning some 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 reasonable return at least uh, from from that side of things. So yeah, I mean, I'll be curious to see how these things uh, these things shake out. But we are in a new world now. You can't control uh, you know where media goes, and um, you know it's it's going to keep getting out there. So, so I, I could imagine actually seeing like. A lot of the behind-the-scenes interviews with fighters in, in the in the green room, in, in the back room, just before they're going out. Those kind of things being broadcast on, say, Periscope, and those kind of things that aren't necessarily the main fight and the main broadcast. And you could use that as a supplementary to draw card in. And yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's that's where it's just it's going to be fascinating to watch to see where where all of these things actually end up, and you know ultimately you will end up with a lesser experience on a TV through certainly you know through that sort of mechanism until you've got a, a really interactive um, or really capable sort of smart device than you would through something that's just a, a traditional satellite broadcast. Um, also on the um, the topic um, of Video streaming. Uh, a few weeks ago, we did sort of talk a little bit around uh, Netflix content. I'm not sure that we covered this last week, so I'm going to give it a quick uh, a quick mention. But um, for those who are paying for Netflix uh, but are getting a limited uh, New Zealand catalogue and um, you know feel that what they're paying should give them access to the US catalogue and uh, you know maybe jumping through some hoops to get access uh, to that US catalogue. Um, I spoke with one of the providers of um, proxy and uh, VPN services um, in North America recently. They, they advised me that if you're running through a browser, you'll get a much higher success rate than you will with running the apps because the apps have in them some smarts to uh, to try and you know figure out whether you're uh, trying to bypass the location detection that's not able to be done um, in the same way through a browser. So just a little tip there. I know um, the, the real hardcore enthusiasts on this stuff have um, you know, been discussing it online and there are a number of ways to, uh, uh, to work, around, uh, work around things, but it does show how you know, technology has, um, has got solutions sometimes for uh, those trying to break outside of the, the realm of what uh, content providers would, uh, would want you to access. Um, now, a couple of quick, quick things before we finish up. Uh, new devices. Uh, so we've got here the uh, Lumia 650 that Microsoft uh, recently uh, launched. So I know we've, we've got some uh, Windows, phones, uh, Windows Phone fans um, out there. Um, these are quite popular in uh, in business, 
and I think there are, I mean, definitely from a consumer perspective as well, there are people that uh, that use Windows Phone. Um, we haven't seen a lot of great devices from Microsoft, I've got to say, and there, it does seem that they're not they're not uh, really pushing too hard to release a whole lot of new devices uh, this year. But what we do have is this Lumia 650, which is actually a reasonably um, stylish little device with the um, the steel surround on it. It's one of the the sort of low to mid priced uh, handsets coming in uh, retail price here in New Zealand at uh, three hundred and fifty dollars. And I think for not too far off that, you can get a, a model with a dual SIM. The official model being launched in New Zealand is single SIM, but there is a dual SIM variant as well. And we were outside in the dark and the rain earlier, snapping some photos from a bunch of the smartphones we've got here. So we've also um, got the, the Huawei P9, which you talked about last week. Or the week before. We have talked about uh, it re- yes. re- recently. And so we did sort of comparison between those two. We looked at the Samsung Galaxy S7, which has an awesome camera. iPhone uh, 6 on this occasion. Uh, probably should have tried with the, sorry, the 6S. Probably should have tried with the 6S Plus uh, because that's got... Uh, Apple's uh, best best camera in it, but it was it was quite interesting the sort of results just from uh, just from doing some quick quick snaps. Now Huawei have been sort of highlighting with the new uh, P9, which we've got the sort of pre-release model, so there may be some updates and changes coming to the software. But they've been highlighting that their partnership with Leica um, has given you know a bunch of manual controls within their um, their camera app. Now, Mark, you're quite a, a photography. Uh, uh, enthusiast, you do a lot of photography at sort of music gigs and things and varying lighting conditions and so on. Um, but how did you find it having access to all the, the manual controls and um, you know well, what did you think of it? The actual manual controls are quite interesting. You've got full control over the shutter speed, the, um, the ISO ratings, and all the all the things that you'd expect from like a DSLR or a Micro Four Thirds, that kind of stuff, and what camera. The dual lenses. One of the things actually about the dual lenses is one is a monochrome lens and one is the color lens. And I have to say, the monochrome photos that I've just been taking with this phone look stunning. The colors, a little bit, color photos are a little bit darker, I find. And I think I've read a few places where it actually kind of, in, the, in its auto settings, it favors a lower ISO to get a more of a, a realistic view of what you're actually seeing, where a lot of other phones kind of try to max out the their aperture as much as they can, like, giving as much light as you can, which kind of sometimes gives a bit of a washed-out feel. Or, but the actual device itself is really good. Um, no, yeah, it's there's a no really image, nice handset, isn't it? No image stabilisation on the camera, which is a little bit of an issue when doing when we're taking these shots outside. There's a night mode, which which is kind of interesting. It does a 15-second record and then kind of does it. It looks like it's doing like a, a composite photo, but... Without the image stabilization, you're just kind of like wobbling around, so you get a lot of blur and. Yeah, it was it was definitely blurry. The the first test we we did like that. Um, I mean, the Samsung Galaxy F7 that was very good with um, well, most of the shots you do on it. It's really really good. Um, the surprise for me was that um, he actually got some quite good shots off the um, of the of Microsoft's Lumia 650, which is you know at a three hundred fifty dollar price point. I wasn't expecting too much of the camera. Uh, it's an eight megapixel um, the the rear camera that we were using, but actually when you sort of compared the shots afterwards, it was um, yeah, yeah it was it was, we, we, it was pretty good. We, wasn't we're it? taking shots at the, the kind of the corrugated iron building across the road, and you could actually there was more definition in the iron in the little weaving patterns and stuff, whereas 
the Huawei just kind of gave you a bit of a, a hazy blur. Zoomed out, everything looked kind of relatively the same, and all phones look really gorgeous, but it's when you kind of zoom in that you kind of sort of see uh, there's a little bit of artifacts there that both the Microsoft and the Samsung were a lot cleaner on it, mm, I thought. Mm. And that might be, I mean, we've got a pre-release handset here on the uh, Huawei, so, you know, if you if you are looking at getting a new phone and the camera's sort of a big part of it for you, I would be looking at sort of online reviews on the, you know, the final software on, on each of, you know, on each of the products that you're considering yeah. and, and actually just, just compare the photos and see what what it is that suits you but yeah. uh yeah I, I, I was playing with a lot of the the raw settings and like changing the different isos and the shutter speeds and stuff so that could have also been an, an, an issue there if you're I, saying you don't know what you're doing every camera is different and you need to know exactly what you're doing the problem with low light and where you've got shifting light being able to very quickly adjust those settings is kind of important i'll give that to you but also knowing how the camera reacts and how the lenses react to those different settings also kind of comes into play. And I think the the problem of having access to all the the pro kind of settings is you've got all the pro settings. And it's easy to kind of screw that up and get the photo that just doesn't quite look as what you want. Yep, yep. I think that the, the lack of the image stabilization, I think, might be an issue. Just taking a look at some of the normal photos, it's... Um, there is a little bit of blur in a few places, and whether that's just focusing on the wrong place, or I, I guess it's one of those things you kind of actually need. To, if you're looking for good photos, you want to use it as a camera and give it a good shot before you buy. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this hasn't been launched here in New Zealand yet, so um, there'll be a final build, I'm sure. For I uh, believe uh, Two Degrees are launching it on the first of June. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. So we're not far off now. Yeah. And I, b- I believe that they have an exclusive gold version. Ooh, ooh, shiny! Yes. So yeah. are you quite are you quite interested in the in the P nine? Is that a handset you might uh, you might look at buying? The the P nine or possibly more the P nine plus is one that I was actually looking at. It's the bigger is, variant. It's the it? bigger variant, and interestingly, the P nine normal one is an IPS display, and the P nine plus, which this is a five point two inch, and the P nine plus is a five point five. That's also that's an AMOLED, super AMOLED display. But one of the interesting things on it as well is that when you're holding your phone vertically, the top earpiece becomes a tweeter for the speaker. But if you turn it horizontally, then it uses the stereo speakers in it, yeah. which, which seems kind of gimmicky. I, I don't think I'd want to be using the speakers anyway. I want to use my nice headphones. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, well, nice, nice, nice that they're... Uh... They're trying different things. All right. Well, I think that's probably us for this week. Um, we have covered all of our all of our topics. If any listeners are keen to hear discussions on any particular points, always feel free to um, to hit hit me up on uh, Twitter at Paul Spain. Uh, you can also uh, email me through the Global Voice Media website or through podcasts.co.nz. Now, Mark, where do people track you down online? You're uh, you're pretty regularly on Twitter, aren't you? Occasionally on Twitter. I usually respond to replies mostly these days. But you can find me at, at Talios or on just Facebook at Mark Derricket and Google Plus at Mark Derricket. And... Yep, that's good. Yeah, I'm actually pretty responsive on Facebook too uh, these days, I've got to say. So you can track me down facebook.com slash Paul Spain. Welcome to follow me there. In fact, I'm, I'm posting a bit more on Facebook now. And um, Facebook Live is, is, is one of those things that's sort of, I guess, encouraging that because as a platform, it's, it seems to reach a, a bigger audience than some of the other video 
uh, apps, live video streaming apps that I've had in the past. So yeah, so there's a bit of video stuff and um, other bits and pieces that I tend to share through on uh, on Facebook. So feel free to uh, to follow me there. All right, well that's us for uh, for this week. We'll be back again next week. Thanks everybody for uh, for listening in. We do appreciate you putting aside the the time to join the New Zealand Tech Podcast each week. Okay, catch you then. See Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.